Hey guys, I am so excited because I have a friend on the podcast who is such an inspiration to me and every time I talk to her, I just feel so inspired and encouraged and she is such a great mentor for all of us. Welcome to the podcast, Carol. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate being invited on your podcast. I just love your um, inspiring honey. It encourages and inspires me as well. You are the sweetest and probably one of the most, is that even correct to say most wise uh, people that I, I talk to and I am just so thankful to have a conversation that we can record and share with the listeners. Yeah, I appreciate it. I don't know. Is it most wise or most old? No, <laughs> you are not. You're not old. Wisdom is such like a gift. And every time I've ever texted you or we've talked, like I've asked you, like right before we started recording, I got to talk to you a little bit in depth about some things. And you just flew from so much wisdom and biblical truth that it's just so awesome. Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> okay, so I'm really excited to hear your answer on this because everybody that comes on the podcast, I ask this simple question, but it's also kind of a challenging question. Um, what is the most inspiring words that you have ever been told, heard, or read? Oh, gosh, the most inspiring words that I've ever been told. Um, you know, I, I would think that not coming from the Bible, because I can I can use the verse that probably changed my life. But in terms of just inspiring words that I've ever heard, my father um, told me from the time that I was a little girl to make sure that when I leave this world, that the only thing people remember is that I gave more than I took. Mm. And, um, and that has um, just, you know, carries me often through my decisions, my relationships, um, makes me pause and think before I speak a word um, to people. And so I would say it was just a really grounding thing from my earthly father. And then from my heavenly father, you know, it was definitely my life first because it was this verse that changed everything for me when I came to faith. And it was, you know, but first seek the kingdom. And then all things will be given to you. And just the understanding that of that, of very similar to the words that my father spoke of just putting myself second, putting everything in my life second mm -hmm. um, to Jesus. And um, as I've walked through my faith walk, understanding that by putting Jesus first, you truly do live out the truth that Paul spoke of so eloquently that the less there is of me and the more there is of him, the more abundance I have and the more fullness I experience. And so I think they're similar, um, you know, um, although they come from two very different, you know, two very different places. Wow. I love that so much. That is something I'm going to write down in my notebook because that is super grounding and, and so amazing just to just to have that concept of let's make sure we're always serving right by by mm -hmm. giving and then also making sure that Jesus is our first priority because I I think on a daily basis I need to be doing a heart check to make sure I'm grounded to those yeah I mean absolutely I mean I'm definitely a very competitive page person by my nature um you know I'm was not a believer for 40 years I'm very you know always relied on my own strength and my own abilities and always felt, you know, drained, fatigued, empty, and resentful. 
and um, no peace in any of that. And when you realize that when you put Jesus first and you constantly just do a heart check, I'm serving, I'm doing, I'm writing, I'm speaking, whatever it is that I'm, I'm parenting, I'm being a spouse. Am I doing that so that I receive glory or am I doing that because it's honoring to what I'm called um, to live obediently through my faith? And am I doing it to glorify God? Do people see my actions? Do people hear my words? Do people know my heart and what they see is Jesus? Um, and, you know, that really kind of, I mean, it just keeps you anchored and floating all at the same time. I don't know a better way to describe that. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That is that is such an anchoring thought and um, conviction to just keep on our hearts and, and to take with us. I mean, that is another note that I'm writing down right now because that's just so incredible to even think about and have that perspective. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Again, age, age. <laughs> yes. Like, yes. With age, wisdom comes. But you are, don't sell yourself short. I'm sure that God has, you are so youthful in your spirit that I would not know you were um, the age that you are because, unless you said it, just because of the youthful spirit you have and, and the like joy and the life that flows from you. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> You know, hopefully that will keep carrying me through. Yes, it reminds me of, oh my goodness, I can't think of it right now, but it's that country song and it says, um, not that you, you're not old, but it, it, this is a song that I heard the other day and I was like, wow, I want to live my life more so like this. And it's called Don't Let the Old Man In. And even like I took my little sister out shopping this week and I was like, I don't want to act like I'm 23. Like she's 11. Like, let me act like I can have fun with her and be crazy and like just act goofy. Like let's be kids at heart. Like, and I just thought that was so cool. Yeah, it definitely is. I mean, I would say that, you know, one of the biggest things is as as we age, we tend to get into a place where we are not open to learning, right? Like, you know, I know that or, you know, you're constantly in the position of authority in situations. And I think that ages us really rapidly. I think that, you know, God always wants us humble and he always wants us learning. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think when we have a willingness to not take the position always of I'm the oldest in the room, therefore I, you know, I quote unquote know the most when you can take the position of I am so curious um, to see your viewpoint, to understand your understanding of this verse or this situation um, so that I can can glean from it and learn from it and hopefully shift, um, inspire or move my understanding of something in a better direction. I think that I think that keeps you young. You know, it keeps you young when you're a parent, you know, to not always, you know, definitely be the authority over your children, but also be willing to understand that, hey, I can learn from my kids. They can mm-hmm. teach me a lot about the world, you know, just like you did in that situation. Like, ah, I have an opportunity here to be that kind of carefree, joy-filled, you know, tween <laughs> <laughs> that, 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 you know, being a mom and a wife has kind of kept me from. <laughs> I love that. I mean, my kids are still pretty young, um, but they have taught me so much that 
I could have never imagined. Like I know before I had kids, I thought, oh my goodness, I'm going to teach them all this stuff and I get to be this wise mother. But in reality, like my kids have taught me way more about Jesus and myself and just life than I think Mm -hmm. I will ever teach them. Yeah, and don't you love, you know, I always think about, you know, if we're supposed to spend our lives trying to become more Christ-like, you know, that in the short ministry that Jesus had, he spent so much of it with kids, Mm. you know, spent so much of it with, with youth. And then when you look at Paul again, you know, with Timothy, I just, you know, I think it's, it's just a reminder that, you know, there, there's value and there's wisdom at every age and every stage. If we're open to it, if we're, you know, humble enough to seek it. Yes. It's like that verse, the childlike faith. And then there's Uh another verse that talks about, I can't, I'm so bad at recalling exact verses. I just know the paraphrasing. But there's another verse that talks about not disqualifying the believer based on their age, but let um, the older ones be encouraged by the faith of the younger mm-hmm. ones. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because it's just, it's, you know, the younger you are, the less of the world has interfered, mm. right, with your faith. Um you know, that there might potentially be maybe a maturing that needs to happen on the one side and and roots growing deeper, but at the same time, there's a purity Mm. to it that's just so lovely. I love that so much. Um, That is just so encouraging. But I really want to talk to you today about your newest book. And as a (laughs) fellow nutritionist, before we even get into talking about diet culture or body image or any of that good stuff that I, I really can't wait to hear from you about, I want to just ask you how you started or how you got led or or exactly how you're at this place of being a nutritionist. Like, how did God lead you to this um, and what inspired that? Yeah, I think, um, you know, it probably started out a little bit of a just a financial need when I was in college, um, you know, just needing to earn some money, but have flexibility with my course load. Um, you know, I was an athlete. I was a cyclist. I loved physical movement. Um, and I was, you know, there was a part-time job available at the local health club, (laughs) you know, just group fit instructing and, you know, spinning didn't exist back then. And I started to do that and then started to take more classes and was just, you know, went to college, probably thinking I was going to be a lawyer because that's what, you know, nice Jewish kids do, right? My sister was going to medical school. I should become a lawyer. Um, And I just realized I had a passion um, for walking alongside people and helping them discover their inner athlete, Mm -hmm. helping them discover that their body was this amazing machine um, that they could – fuel and and practice and create muscle memory patterns and and this was obviously before I was a believer and just I just found a passion for it and then it was insatiable it was okay now I want to know how the body moves the biomechanics of it why Mm -hmm. it moves and exercise physiology okay now I want to understand with all of those movement patterns and the energy production how does food you know play a role in that what the things that we eat because when I was competing, you know, it was carb loading, right? <laughs> it was, you know, wake up in the morning and eat a pound of pasta. Oh, my um, goodness. You know, um, before you go and race. Um, and just it was fascinating to me about, you know, where does that come from? 
you know, why, why do we do that? And so um, I would say that it was an intellectual curiosity and just a passion to realize that what I like to do recreationally, I could do professionally. Um, and that's what led me to it. And then just over the years, um, the privilege of being in such a vulnerable place um, with women, I made the decision when I got married to stop training men, to stop working with male clients, um, only with married couples, if um, if a man was going to be present, and just to focus my um, career on training and working with women, um, because it's a really intimate space. You know, you, you develop this very intimate connection with people, and I saw so many co-workers' marriages struggle with that. And so my instinct was, you know, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to put myself or or a man in that position um, to have that intimate relationship with another woman, right? And um, and so I don't know. It was just I just loved I loved the privilege of being in that space with people of them talking about you know how they feel about their body, how they feel about the way that they eat. Um, there's so much hidden and working in that. How they feel about their ability to um, perform athletically um, or to do exercises, the intimidation that women face in that arena. And um, it was, it just has been the love of my life. Um, I've done it for 35 years. Um, and um, I still, you know, I'm retired from it um, because I'm writing now, but, um, you know, I miss it. I miss it. I so appreciate that. As a fellow nutritionist, I love that. And I fell into it in a similar way, but maybe not as, as dramatic um, as yours. But I just love that so much. And I love the the way that God has been able to to work in it in your life. And I'm sure it's been able to be an opportunity for ministry as well. Yeah, we were talking about, you know, the long view, right? The perspective before the podcast started. Yes. That God has. And, you know, when you're in the midst of something, you, you're you human. I mean, our perspective is so finite, and we don't see things. And, you know, when this whole ministry of Fuel Body Feed Soul was laid on my heart, um, you know, five years ago, it's just like, oh, all of that. <laughs> I mean, every single step of that is just so orchestrated. Um, and, you know, um, and, and what he was preparing me for without me even realizing that I was being equipped for all those years um, to, to do what I'm doing now. Wow, I love that so much. And, and in your latest book, like where you talk about demolishing diet culture, um, which I, I love, by the way, and I just think is so needed and so incredible. How did that all of the things that God had taught you, how did that feed into writing the book? And can you just expand for me on the idea of how you got to the point where you're like, okay, well, you need to eat pasta, a pound of pasta in the morning too. We're done with diet culture. We're not going to follow fad diets. Like you need to love your body the way God created it type of thing. Yeah. So I think it was as with everything with me, because I, you know, I surrendered my life to Christ at the age of 40. So I was, I was not a child. I was not, you know, I was a, I was a middle-aged woman. Um, when I came to faith, I had definitely, um, been peeking over the fence and, and, and sticking a toe in the pool and looking for Jesus. And for as long as I can remember, you know, from the time I was five years old, um, but never just fully um, being willing to surrender to it. So 
about five years ago, um, um, it actually is almost exactly five years because in August it'll be five years. Um, I, my father, um, was in the final days of his life and I flew out to Phoenix to be with him. And we had about of the 36 hours that he lived, we had probably about 20 hours of it or so that he was lucid and we were talking and he looked at me and we talked a lot about my faith and a lot about his faith. And he looked at me and he said, when are you going to write that book? And I was like, dad, you know, I'm 50 years old. People don't even read books anymore. You know, they do this blogging thing and I don't know how computers work. And he said, you need to make me a promise. He said, it's not like you. And I said, what's not like me? He said, when you're passionate about things, Carol, you share it with others. And you're so passionate about your faith, but yet you keep it so quiet. And he said, and I really feel like you're just kind of living two lives. And I said, well, dad, I, you know, I'm not quiet about it. I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm respectful, you know, I'm, I'm respectful to my family and the fact that I was raised Jewish and, and he was like, well, he's like, you know, how is that, how is that robbing you of your potential? And I started thinking about it and, you know, I just kind of tabled it and then I got back and, you know, kind of partway through the grieving process, I was at work and a very young coworker of mine overheard me complaining about trying to create a blog because um, I was trying to honor what my dad had asked me to do. And she looked at me and she said, I, I design websites. <laughs> That's what I do. And I said, really? And she said, yeah, just give me some things that you write. And by the weekend, I'll have it all done. And I said, okay, and this, you know, Alex is brilliant, and, and she did. She came through, and then we met. I just was so impressed with this young woman um, that I was like, you don't need to, to work for me as a, you know, freelance website developer or, or, you know, graphic. I don't know what the term is because I don't do that. But I said, we need to sit down and talk, and we went and had coffee. And it was like, oh, I don't I don't know how else to explain it, but it was like a Holy Spirit download. It was this profound moment where it was fuel your body, feed your soul based on Romans 12 to do not conform to the patterns of the world. And it was this conviction that I had been building diet culture strongholds for women the whole of my life. And what a false religion and what a false idol it is. And that I needed to speak to it to understand that when we walk the tension between being good stewards of our body, of honoring God's creation, that we don't fall prey to enemy strongholds and allow it to become set before God. And it all linked back to my life first and the thing that brought me to faith, that deeply rooted Christian women, I lived in the Bible Belt, <laughs> deeply rooted Christian women who run to Jesus first for everything, mm -hmm. except when it comes to how they eat, what they look like. Then it's, they look to the world. They mm. look to worldly gurus. They go to social media. They follow every trend. They toil and they work and they chase. And their decisions are rooted in fear and restriction and willfulness. And it just, it was that, it was over coffee. <laughs> and, and I've been running to catch up to that since, if that makes sense.
just trying to be obedient to everything he puts in front of me. It's I try to be obedient to it. Wow. I I think it's kind of kind of cool. Two points. One, the obedience. I recorded a podcast yesterday, which will be last week for the people listening to this episode with Janessa. And I'm sure you know her, Carol, from yes. our um, community. But anyway, so she was talking about obedience. So I feel like God is really um, doing a theme of obedience in my this season of the podcast but also too I think it's incredible everything you said but the the part that really hit home for me um and maybe it is because I'm also a nutritionist or maybe it's just because I'm a woman um but the fact that we run to Jesus for everything except the way that we look and I think that Mm -hmm. feeds also into the way that we dress the way that we speak the way that we do our hair like um one one thing that has really been pressed on my heart my friend actually sent me a podcast about this is are we dressing for the world? Are we dressing for attention and applause? Or are we dressing to honor the Lord? And I just think that that is so incredible how like you came to this conclusion that women are running to Jesus for everything else except their body. And yeah, and, and you think amazing. about it, it's like and and God of course always knows, right? And so there's a reason why in Samuel 16, 7, he said, you know, do, don't focus on outward appearance. I don't look at that. You know, I look at what's inward. I look at the heart. Mm-hmm. And in Matthew 6, when Matthew six thirty three became my life verse, I mean, I'd never read the entire Bible through at that point. I didn't really know much that came before it. You know what I mean? But when we look at Matthew 6, he says twice in two different instances you know, life is more than about what you eat or what you drink. Mm. You know, he, he says, do not worry about what you eat or what you drink. You know, these things that pass into your body, they just pass right out. Think about the contents of your heart. And so I think, you know, God knew that body image and food relationship would become such a snare of the enemies for us Mm -hmm. that would build such strongholds around us that would become a false idol if we allowed it. Mm -hmm. And it's such an easy thing because it it seems like a very good pursuit. Health is a good pursuit, right? (laughs) You know, to, to choose to be healthy, to choose to move your body is a good, healthy thing. So it's easy to be twisted, which is what the enemies you know, skill set is, and it goes right back up to what you said, which is, am I choosing to eat and move my body to glorify the kingdom so that I have the health and the energy to fulfill my kingdom purpose? Mm. Or am I doing it to feel better about myself and for others to feel better about me or to like me more? Oh, come on. (laughs) You know, so people always say to me, well, what should I eat? And I'm like, that's not, I I did that. I did that before I was convicted. I'm not here to tell you what to eat or what not to eat. I'm telling you that if food is occupying your thoughts, if food is occupying your time through tracking and meal prepping and all the other things that we do to the detriment of your relationship and your time with God, Mm then it's become a false idol, however you're eating. So it's like, we need to, yeah, we need to surrender that at the foot of the cross. We need to trust our good father that he gave us everything we need for robust health, that he calls us to a narrow path to walk between the tension of flesh and spirit so that 
we are good stewards of our body and we don't fall prey to either legalism, diet mm. culture, or license, gluttony, mm. and overindulgence. He doesn't, both of those lead to ruin. And so he calls us to a path that leads us eventually to the fruit of self-control, to where things of our flesh don't control and take our thoughts captive because we're so filled to overflowing, so fully satisfied by our relationship with Jesus Christ, that it's secondary. We eat to fuel our body. We eat to fulfill our kingdom mission. <laughs> that's, that's the place that food needs to be in. So good. Come on. That was, I'm, I'm sitting here and just processing all of what you said, like all of the truth. And I'm going to go back and listen to this and take notes on it. And anybody listening, I would encourage you to rewind and take some notes on what Carol just spilled if you, if you haven't already taken notes on it. Because so good. So good. So much truth and so much obedience and just giving it over to God. So have you ever struggled with body image um and what do you wish that carol could have known 40 years ago 20 years ago when you were really coaching those women and you were still really involved in that diet culture and that's all you knew yeah i think i grew up in a house with a mother um who sacrificed her well-being to dieting she struggled with her weight um all of her adult life i grew up in a house where she always ate differently from us was doing every diet i mean in fact i think she was 90 percent of my nutrition education people ask me about diets and i know everything about them and they're like how do you know that i'm like oh my mom did it yeah my my mom did that one in 81 82 you know um and so i grew up watching her um And just kind of was like, you know, I I never want to, I never want to feel that kind of restriction and shame around food. Um, But so I think I've had some freedom in that area with food um, where I've just kind of kept food where it needs to be. But I've struggled a lot with um, body image because I'm in the fitness industry. I'm an athlete. My power to weight ratio was very important and it was always off. I was always shorter and stockier, you know, and, and so, and now, you know, taking it to this side of the equation, you know, I'm, I'm 54 years old. I've, I have four living children, but I've, I've been pregnant, um, with six. I carried twins, um, um, to 32 weeks. Um, and Mm -hmm. so, you know, my body's been through a lot and, you know, I'm fit, I'm very healthy, but I'm in an industry where it's like, you know, I have peers that are just ripped and cut and, you know, and, you know, so yeah, I mean, I'm a woman, I still see that and I still, you know, can fall prey to that. But then I shift that back to gratitude. I shift that back to the fact that my body image doubts or desires because I think it's always that, right? We jockey back and forth between body image doubts and body image desires. Um, I think that I've been protected from any um, very deep, deep trial with that. You know, I've not ever felt um, such shame about my body that I need to try to do things to harm myself to get to be a certain shape. 
Um, I've never wrestled with that. I've walked alongside many clients that have, and I, I know that that's not a pain or a trial that God has ever set in my path. Um, and so I just shift to gratitude. And the more I learn about the human body, the more evidence of God's divine intelligence becomes so apparent to me and how much of his thumbprint is in every aspect of our body and what it does to protect us from ourselves, Mm -hmm. what it does to adapt to every environment, um, how many mechanisms he put into it that we don't even have to think about, but that just work effortlessly and how much food he provided that is just so sound for our body and that if we stop messing with it through legalism, we'll realize that if we eat pretty much the way that the Bible, without it being a Bible diet, that's in breakthrough. Um, You know, the only question I ask is, are you getting enough of these things? Because this is the way that God laid out how we should eat. And if we do that, then our body, our flesh gets pretty quiet. It doesn't dictate to us a lot about false hunger or cravings. Um, And every diet has discovered that God was right. Shock. (laughs) I mean, pretty much across the board. Every year when they rank diets from best to worst, the one thing that all of them that are in the healthy from a medical viewpoint agree upon is that a human being whose diet consists predominantly of fruits and vegetables and protein is a person that has less chronic disease, Mm. less struggles with weight, less struggles with anxiety or depression. And that's across the board. And so Genesis 1, you know, 29, I give to you every seed-bearing plant and every tree that bears fruit. Wow. So the basis of the human diet was fruits and vegetables. (laughs) (laughs) You know, Genesis 9, now I give you every moving thing for you to eat. You know, so there it is. (laughs) And what, you know, people in the nutrition world come to understand is that you know, I know macros are very, well, they're kind of detrending now. Um, I would say that they were really peaking about three to four years ago. But with macros, you know, they're, and you're like, but what about healthy fats? Well, all fats are derived from either fruits and vegetables or protein. <laughs> you know, so, so we, we get those in those two categories. And, um, and I just love that. I love that God's like, I made it simple for you guys. Yep. It's common sense. It's not that complicated. I'm not the one that made it convoluted. I'm not the one that made it confusing. <laughs> I didn't write in the Bible that a banana is not as good for you as a raspberry. <laughs> <laughs> So, so I would have taken the time to do that. <laughs> I love that. I think that's so funny because that's something that I always come back to. Like it is so simple and it's just so easy to know how to eat right when we look at the things that God has given us from from his creation. And I think as people like the simplest things are the things we overcomplicate the most. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And I think that your generation is now fully, fully raised and reared on diet culture. I still had a grandmother that didn't even know about dieting, right? I mean, you know, she's passed on, but my grandmother, it was food scarcity. I mean, they were just happy to have enough food. 
Um, they cooked everything at home. Food wasn't abundant. It wasn't convenient. Um, it wasn't until post-World War II that we started to have convenience food come into the into play because women, you know, went into the workforce um, and just the nature of our households changed. So the nature of our relationship with food changed. And then once that started happening by the 60s, all of a sudden America started to have a weight problem. Mm. And we started dieting. So my mother was sort of the first generation to really get caught up in dieting. But so I've kind of seen a little bit of both, but your generation doesn't know anything different. It's how you've been raised with food. Um, It's how your parents view food. It's how their parents probably viewed food. And so when we realize that if we peel all of that away, right, if we just peel all of it away down to the common sense, biblical truth and not the shifting sand of diet culture, then food becomes exactly what it was intended to be. A good gift, a blessing. That is so, so true. And I think that's such a great perspective because I've never thought of it that way. Like no one, the, a few generations back, never even had this diet culture that people my age have grown up knowing and been surrounded by. I mean, I remember driving to school and on the corner there was, I I think it was still called Weight Watchers back then or the Jenny Mm -hmm. Craig things where people would go and they'd like weigh in. And I remember one of my best friend's moms used to go to it and sometimes we'd like wait, she'd pick us up from school and we'd have to like wait in there for her. And it was so bizarre to see the scales and the measuring. And as a little girl, you kind of just step back and like, what? in the world is this like and and Mm -hmm. it starts from a very young age and I think too because everybody has their bodies on display um a lot of people do rather have their bodies on so much display online and it's such an emphasis on self I think that really fuels the diet culture as well oh yeah absolutely I mean the more narcissistic we become as a culture the more self-seeking we become the more self reliant and self-absorbed that we become the more that what matters most to us is outward appearance we're basically trading in god's beauty for the world's ashes Mm. you know um and the reality is is that the word is not shifting sand right the word is eternal it's living and it is solid rock solid truth that's not going to bend the world (laughs) the world is whatever whim and what Whatever whim is popular and whatever will basically make the most profit, mm-hmm. right? That's that's what the world deals with. The world deals with trends. The world deals with having us constantly toil after those trends. And we know on some fundamental level, wow, everything I eat makes me feel bad about myself, <laughs> You know, everything I eat makes me feel guilty or feel shame. I feel like, you know, words like cheating or, you know, I, that's bad for me or, you know, I was good to myself yesterday or, ooh, I made some really poor choices yesterday, so I need to go exercise today as punishment. So we've even turned that into this, you know, kind of thing that's not good for us anymore. It's like reward and punishment. We sort of know that it's leading us down a bad path where we sort of can see it, but yet we're so seduced by it, Mm. you know? Um, And so it's just a matter of how do we resist temptation? Well, we don't resist temptation through willpower. We don't resist temptation through our own knowledge. We don't resist temptation through our own strength. We resist temptation by putting on the full armor of God and completely surrendering through ignited, obedient faith 
to his will for our lives rather than our own, to his glory for the world rather than our own. And when we do that, he promises to help us resist temptation. Mm. So good. That is so true. And I think that transcends far past talking about food. I think we can apply that to almost every area of our life. Yeah, that's the beauty of God, right? It's 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 everything is like we said, it's truth is never convoluted and truth is always connected. There's this there's this beautiful interconnection that when God is speaking truth into one area, it applies to every area of your life, mm. every area. And so I would just say that breakthrough was really a conviction on my heart to say it's time to take our relationship with food, the strongholds of diet culture, and our relationship with our bodies and lay that at the foot of the cross. Mm. It's time. So good. So one of the last questions that I want to ask you, I could literally sit here and talk to you forever. You are so, so, so filled with wisdom and truth. And it's just so amazing to just, I'm still digesting everything you said, Um, (laughs) just taking it all in. But so one of the cool things that I want to start doing from here on out on every podcast episode, which I did a few seasons back, is having a listener question um, that a listener sent in earlier in the day or the day before we recorded this about this specific topic. So today's question for you comes from Kaylee Wolf, and she asked, best advice on staying motivated and new mom health tips okay so the best advice to staying motivated is make your why outside of yourself Mm. when our why is only connected to self it is something that becomes inconsistent when our why is connected to something larger than ourselves and you know um I had a mom once who came to me and has never exercised, has never cared about what she ate, you know, lives on a diet of, you know, fast food restaurants and Coca-Cola. Um, and, you know, was one of those people that was as thin as a rail. You know, she came to me and she was like, I need to start exercising. And I was like, okay, why? <laughs> like, you've never done this. I've known you for 15 years. And she was like, my son is autistic and I have to be fast enough and strong enough to keep up with him. And it changed everything about her motivation because it wasn't about something she was trying to achieve for herself. It was something that she was trying to do to serve her son well. And so I would say the best way to keep motivated is to make sure that your why you're choosing to move your body or why you're choosing to nourish your body is to have it connected to something bigger than just your own personal goals. Mm -hmm. Um, New mom tips. Um, just about eating. Um, I don't know what stage she's in. So I would tell you, let go of this crazy diet culture notion that you can deliver a baby and snap back and that you should snap back. Um, you have just grown a human being inside of you and you are potentially still nursing that baby and you need to eat. Um, you need to keep your calories up and you need to eat food so that you not only have energy, to parent your child, but also that you have energy to feed your child. Um, If you're past that stage, then I would tell you the best tip that I can give you as a mom about food is to create and cultivate a habit of cooking 
meals, one meal, not becoming a short order cook for everybody and their taste. Children will adapt and will learn to enjoy things the more they're exposed to it, that they are watching you more than they're listening to you. So if you're saying things, but you're doing different things, they're going to do what you do, not what you say. So, um, and sit down at the table and eat together as a family. The best thing I ever did as a mom was when I was new to faith, we were involved in travel sports and my kids were doing all the things and running around ragged and thought I was just doing what I'm supposed to do as a mom, keeping up with the busy culture. And my pastor said, we're going to make a commitment five a week, five sit down meals a week at a table. I don't care what five they are, just five a week is a minimum. We started doing that as a family, and I can tell you that the number one thing that has kept us all connected, even through really you know teen- teenage years, which are brutal, um, was the fact that we sit as a table as a family. We slow down time. We give thanks to God for our meal. We cook our meals together. We savor our food. Um, and all of that plays into having a healthier relationship with food so we don't overeat, so that we don't, you know, eat convenient foods that are quick to grab but maybe not very nutrient-dense. So develop those habits as a new mom um, because you're building a foundation for your kids. That's mm-hmm. what you are. You're modeling for your kids the rest of your life, and you can't expect them not to have a disordered relationship with food if they see a mom who's constantly – having a disordered relationship with food. <laughs> that is so, like, I can witness to that because growing up, my parents both worked a lot and they both owned businesses and then my mom then moved into corporate America and my sister and I were both in sports and um, after I finished up chemo, I, I took up tennis and I became pretty competitive and traveled all over. But one thing my parents were always strict about was every night we had to sit at the table and we had to have dinner as a family and we prayed together. And now that I have my boys, my maybe partly as a nutritionist, maybe partly just because of what I saw growing up is we sit down at the dinner table and we have dinner together. And my my two-year-old, he's almost two and a half now, but he I will never make a separate meal for him. Like he eats what we eat. Like for lunch we had um, – had these sandwiches with hummus and for dinner we had lemon garlic chicken and like he eats what we eat because that's what we all always have done for him and people are mm-hmm. always so amazed about his palate and it really is just because of the culture we cultivated in our home and not letting him think that he has to eat kitty food but letting him eat the same food we do exactly i mean that's how i grew up i grew up eating at a table we went out to we went out to a restaurant maybe once a month it's just not something people did with children back then adults went to the restaurant and you stayed at home with a babysitter um but now i think that we chase after our children and we we satisfy their wants and their needs instead of modeling for them like mom's going to make one meal we're going to sit down and eat and you're going to try everything you don't have to eat anything i spent plenty of my youth spitting brussels sprouts into a napkin and now they're my all-time favorite food in the world um but the most value you know gabriel all the nutritional benefit of actually sitting down and chewing and savoring a meal but apart from the science benefits of doing that um i will tell you that we right now have a house full kids are home from college and we were all sitting down and having dinner last night and you know conversations going on 
And my son, who's 21 years old, um, who had a friend come and stay with us for the weekend um, from Auburn, you know, he said probably in the best things you and dad ever did is family dinners. And I used to hate them. And he's like, I remember like, <laughs> I'm not hungry. Why do I have to go down there? You know? And he's like, and you would force us and you would say to me, I don't care if you don't have a word to say, but you're going to sit here. <laughs> and he was just like, so mamas, it comes back. Um, it comes back to you in, in such abundance when we show our kids through simple acts of fellowship and praise um, that our life should not conform to the world, Mm. that our life should try to imitate what God has set before us. And the last thing Jesus did before he faced a trial that none of us can imagine was what? He didn't go give a big speech. He didn't go and try to evangelize a couple of more people. He took the people he loved most in the world and had dinner with them. Mm. Wow. That is, that is really convicting to think about. (laughs) I have never thought about it in that way before. Like, like he literally took the people he loved and had dinner. And he had a meal. Yeah. I mean, incredible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what does he say awaits us? Right. A a feast awaits Mm. us. Come to my table. I have a feast prepared for you. You know, and so as a mama, stop treating food as something that you need to eat in passing, woof down at the kitchen island, eat in a car, passing it back to your kids. Yes, show yourself grace. There's going to be plenty of that. But let that be the exception instead of the lifestyle. Ooh, so good. So good. I love that so much. I, everything you say, you're just you're just so awesome. And I'm so thankful that God has connected us. And I'm so thankful for all the times I talk to you. And especially today's conversation, being able to share our conversation with all the listeners. I'm just always so encouraged by you. And if you guys don't follow Carol online or you haven't gotten her book yet, I really suggest that you do because this woman is someone that you want to get to know. Um, so Carol, how can listeners connect with you online and read your book, follow you on social media, and just learn more from your wisdom? Well, well thank you. Um, let's see. <laughs> on Instagram, it's at fuelbodyfeedsoul. Um, it's also the name of my blog, fuelbodyfeedsoul.com. Um, my books, I have two books, You Are His is a 21-day devotional, pretty focused around seeing ourselves through God's eyes and having him speak truth over us rather than the world, and then break through six weeks to demolish um, diet culture strongholds, which is a Bible study. Um, both are available on Amazon. Um, you are his is available at Barnes and Noble and Books a Million. Um, so um, probably pretty easy to find. They're Kindle, they're paperback, they're all the things. Um, so um, you know, hopefully, you know, find me on Instagram shoot me a dm and tell me that you heard me on gabriel's wonderful podcast i answer my dms i'm 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 small time so um, i still i still check in on all of that um and feel free to ask me questions about nutrition um but you guys have gabrielle so you don't need me um and she is more up to date because she's the new generation coming into this so um thank you so much for having me you are so sweet thank you so much for being here